Yo, what's going on, guys? So in today's episode, we actually recorded this episode on June 2nd, the first day of Game 1 of the NBA Finals. So in this episode, you'll get our Eastern Conference breakdown for all the teams that were eliminated and how the Boston Celtics actually made it to the NBA Finals, and as well as our NBA Finals preview. And we also have Khalil going over the new addition of the Lakers head coach, Darwin Ham, and how he can actually impact and help the Lakers Return to the playoffs, which is what all Khalil wants to happen for them. So, appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoy this one. So, let's start with the Eastern Conference because I do think the Eastern Conference was a little bit more of a tight split based along the teams from one through, I guess, really seven, almost eight, almost if you want to count them, but one through seven in my opinion. So, I mean, one through the first seed, the one seed versus eight seed in the first round, you had Miami, uh, I believe, getting four one, if I remember, on the Hawks. Yeah. Yeah, they beat the so Hawks. They beat the Hawks in five. They they had Trey Young in in purgatory. Um, a lot of people talk about Trey Young. They they say he's one of the the young great point guards, and I do agree that he's also one of the young great point guards. But this series, you had a team just really focused all in on him, and actually was able to neutralize him and and slow him down enough to handle business quickly. What do you think for Trey Young and then the Hawks coming into this offseason, getting eliminated in five games, but? Almost really being just a borderline team throughout the season, they struggled early, stayed alive midway through, had their push at the end to get all the way at least to eight. So, what do you think for them? Uh, do they think have coming up? Um, well, about that Miami series, I think Trey was quoted after like game three saying that he hasn't been guarded like that since high school or something like that. So that was crazy. And then they actually closed the uh, Hawks out in game five without Jimmy Butler. He didn't play in that game five. We can remember. So that was kind of disappointing to see Trey go out to a heat team without their, I guess you could say best player. But as far as the Hawks, they just, they have the talent. It seems because they have Deandre Hunter. They have, they have Bogdan. They have red velvet, Kevin Herter. They got Trey young. They got John Collins. They got Clint Capella. Um, they traded Cam Reddish. He's he's with the Knicks now, but he was a player that they had. I just don't know what offensively I think they have the talent, but just as we know, defensively, if you don't sit down and play defense, you're not going to go anywhere. And with Trey Young individually, the next step in his game, because he's already great. He was named third team All-NBA. We'll get into that later. He's already great, but my, the biggest question about Trey Young is will he ever – even be able to become a player defensively because of his, you know, him only being, I want to say, 5'11", 6 foot, being generous, um, skinny frame, not really being able to slide his feet laterally, you know, getting, you know, bodied in the playoffs. So it's kind of interesting to see where they go from there uh, as far as if they make any moves this summer to add any, like, defensive personnel or if they're just going to stick with the same squad and think that – um they can make a run because this same team was in the Eastern conference finals a season ago. So I'm not, so them being, them being out of the playoffs before the play in tournament was kind of surprising, but um, yeah, as far as the Hawks, 
once they start once they start locking in on defense, I think that will be a player in the East. And I think I definitely think that them making the Eastern Conference Finals a year ago was an amazing run that I don't think can be duplicated. But I think once they start locking in on D, that they can be a little bit more formidable than they were this past season. And I mean, I've heard DeAndre Hunter be talked about along the lines like trade talks. So depends on where you're going to find that defense from. I guess it'll have to be from the draft. I mean, just adding players to fit into the system of Trey Young, pick and roll, will be on the ball most of the way. Like at the end of the day, it's likely what's going to have to get for him. But then you had the 4-5 matchup with uh, Toronto Raptors, very beat up throughout the entire series, but actually end up mm-hmm. doing the most damage at the end of that series. Mm-hmm. with hurting Joel and B getting him an orbital fracture to have him out for the to begin with and then he also had a thumb injury so right. even though they, they they got out of the first round they made it to the second round against Miami um it wasn't much he could do because again we have a generational big man that we have in Joel and B but constant injuries again you have injuries that pop up right then and there and you have a player in James Harden who <laughs> didn't show up in, and not but one game in the second round. And it's just like for Philly, I feel badly for them because Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia Sixers were playing well without James Harden. They get James Harden for this moment now, and they end up faltering in the same position that they always end up faltering. And so it's like you ended up giving away a guy like Jimmy Butler, who was quoted at the end of that series saying, uh, Tobias Harris over me. Tobias Harris over me? (laughs) I, (laughs) I I, I wouldn't deny that. I mean, that's just it's silly talk. But at the end of the day, for the Sixers, I feel badly for them. I know for their fans because I feel as though they would have got somewhere else if they just kept off of James Harden. Like, at the end of the day, I feel as though James Harden took away from a lot of the other guys. But that's for another day, I guess, we can see for him. What do you think about the Sixers' end of their season and Miami taking them out? And I believe it was six games in that one, too. So, or in that one as well. So, what do you think about for the Philadelphia Sixers and Joel B, who, in my opinion, should have won MVP? Like I said, we'll get into that later. But uh, what do you think about that for him, and what can they do next? Like, I guess they'll run it back with James. I, I wouldn't run it back with James, but what do you think they're looking at? Um, Well, I got to publicly eat some crow on our pod. I picked the Raptors to beat the Sixers in the first round in seven games. Um, I just didn't believe in James Harden being that reliable second option. Um. And I thought with Toronto, with their depth and they're just being and they're just having so many live defensive bodies to throw on James. I just thought that he would be neutralized throughout the entire series. And I just thought that they would be that they would find a way to win. Um, but of course, Scotty Barnes got hurt. And then I think Fred got hurt. And then they just weren't playing the way I expected them to play. And especially going down 3-0, Joel hit Joel Embiid hitting that crazy left wing three to send game three into overtime. They ended up winning, taking the 3-0 lead. I said, wow, this is one of the worst picks I've probably ever made. <laughs> it's crazy. But um, as far as Joel, it just gets to the point where you just start to feel bad for him individually because every year it's something. And, like, as a former athlete myself, I know what it's like to, to always have to fight through something, never feel as though you're 100% when you want to be. So that's just deflating. The tailwind between – when they first made the Harden trade and how great they were for those first five or seven games compared to when the honeymoon phase ended and going into the playoffs, just how, how pedestrian James Harden looked like that was, that was extremely alarming for me. And I've been on record on this podcast saying I'm not the biggest Harden fan. I don't like the way he plays. I don't like the way he uh, like hunts for fouls, but 
just to see him get neutralized like that by the Raptors for the majority of the series, for him to squeak out of that, then for him to get neutralized by the Heat the way he were, except for the exception of, I want to say, game four that was where he went off for 30. Mm-hmm. Other than that, man, he was in – like he couldn't blow by Tyler Hero. Like it just looked look like he can't blow by anybody anymore. And that was That's the biggest deep, like, part of his game was blowing by people. Exactly, especially when you don't have a mid-range. His entire game was predicated on I'm either going to – I'm either going to fake you with the step back or I'm going to get all the way to the rim and either shoot the floater or throw the lob. And for him to not even be able to do that, I was just like, wow. Like, just like, wow. I know we're going to talk about the Lakers soon. We have a guy who I would say has the worst contract in the league. But for Harden to be due what I think is $47 million next year and for him to opt in for that, that has to be <laughs> that has to be one of the worst contracts in the league right now just based off the production versus the expectations so if you're philly i really don't know where you go from here i guess you give it a i guess you have no choice about the running back um but yeah um i'm excited to see what they do uh as far as with the draft and going into the summer especially with doc rivers we're hearing that he's coming back so gonna give him another chance so i guess we just have to give it another year and talk soon best of luck with glenn rivers that's that's, i don't think that's gonna work out for me uh i wouldn't do that if i was philly but that's gonna be on them uh, for Toronto, I think uh, married a lot of Pascal and OG and possible moves this summer. Um, Thanks for them. It's all around. I guess you want to build it, build something around Scotty, maybe Scotty and Fred. I think. Uh, I mean, we'll see with them. I know Nick Nurse is a good coach. Apparently, Nick Nurse was supposedly on the Lakers' radar, but uh, that I guess is no longer, and he's going to stay in Toronto. We know why Sixth God had that bag for him. You know, he, like I told you, he wasn't really going anywhere. But you know, but at the end of the day, uh, think for Toronto, if they do end up moving Pascal, that'd be interesting. I wonder where he would go. I've seen a lot of Phoenix people want him on on the Suns to pair with Booker and um, Chris Paul. But I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe Pascal's now that player that people look at as a person that is a added piece to a championship team we'll see um but we'll, we'll get onto the suns and stuff like that when we get over there but for the toronto raptors i think they'll be fine the eastern conference is diminishing slightly but not too much but slightly so i think they can still have a chance to be in there in contention most of the way so what do you think for them do you think anything about uh toronto's offseason coming up or what they could possibly look into doing um I definitely, I definitely did see some OG Ananobi trades. Um, I saw some OG Ananobi trade rumors. Um, obviously, I'm biased. I would love him in L.A. He's exactly what we need, a two-way wing that can hit shots, um, can put the ball on the floor, hit his free throws, and just knows how to play the game. Doesn't really need the ball too much to be effective. Type of guy you would like to put on a team like the Lakers. But as far as Pascal, that's very interesting to see where he could go. I mean, I guess I really can't think of a team off the dome that I could see him plugging in and being effective with immediately does he look good on does he look good on our team if you if if you that because at that point you would at that point i'm saying if you if you put him on our team you got to move jaren to the five for sure but i we'll we'll, we'll get into we'll get into grizzlies grizzlies trade talk we'll get into that would be interesting. Now, now that you just put that together like that i could see that i could see that so Miami ended up beating, like we said, Philly in six. So they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And they needed an opponent on the opposite side. So going to go into that 3-6 matchup, Milwaukee, Chicago. Chicago was always the team that I told myself throughout the season. I said, they look great now. 
They look like they can be good, but something just didn't move me ever. Not, not one point in the season was I ever moved by the team, and they ended up proving me right, although a lot of Chicago fans will tell you that it was injuries. they tell you that Zach Levine wasn't right, that they never got Lonzo Ball back after uh, after January 1st, I believe. So, um, to me, I mean, I don't know. DeMar DeRozan has, once again, in the playoffs, come up short, not by his own doing, but once again has come up short in the playoffs like where did where did they go to is it just about signing zach this summer making sure zach stays or is it about taking demar because i mean hearing hearing the stuff you hear about zach apparently not wanting to be like in the role that he is in chicago but mm-hmm. for his career has asked chicago to help him that that doesn't really make sense but you get your help and now you want to leave so i don't know why you would want to leave because I, I I would think it's more money to stay with Chicago. And two, I mean, you just build around what you guys had already had. I mean, you were in the first seat a couple times throughout the season. So I don't really understand why you would want to leave. But if he does, he does. But for me, I, th- I just think Chicago, I guess it'd just be about trying to get guys healthy and I guess running it back, seeing what they can add in the draft and free agency coming up. But uh, what do you think about Chicago season and for your for your guy Lonzo Ball? And what could he could possibly bring to them when he comes back healthy, or if he can ever stay healthy for an entire NBA season? Like that is now that is now something that is in real question about. Yeah, um, yeah, you hit it right on the nose. With Lonzo, his biggest hurdle is health. Can he stay healthy for an entire eighty-two and be ready for the stretch run in the playoffs? But the Zach Demar situation is interesting because Zach did want help. You know, that was that was the big thing going in the last season before they signed DeMar was is Zach going to get any help? Then you bring in Zoe and DeMar then DeMar ends up being that main guy. So I guess Zach is left feeling like, whoa, like I asked for help but not this much help. I still think I'm capable of being the best player on a playoff team. And I still think that's the case, but I just think with the year DeMar had, especially in the first half of the season, he was lights out. He was Easily a first NBA, a first team All NBA nod. If the season would have ended around the All Star break for the shooting guard small forward position, but if I'm Zach, let me remove my Laker bias out of this. If I'm Zach, I think staying in Chicago is the right move because you have a squad. Patrick Williams was hurt for the majority of the year. He came back late. He wasn't who he was his rookie year this year, so he'll be back. Nikola Vucevic, I think was the biggest culprit of their loss against the Bucks. He's a bum. He's no attention bad. went to how ineffective he was, especially against Bobby Portis and Brooke Lopez. He was just a shell of himself in that playoff series. And I guess you got to credit Coach Bud and the Bucks defense, but you expect more from him. And I like their bench. I like Kobe White. Um, so I think if you bring the squad back, just like Toronto, if you bring the squad back, another year of continuity, another year development, they should be a higher seat next year because um, I don't expect them to go whatever it was against the top three seeds in both conferences, like one in 15, one in 17, whatever it was last year. I don't expect that to happen. I expect Lonzo to be healthy for the second half of the season. I expect Zach to be healthy for the second half of the season. I expect Bush to be better and I expect the bench to stay the same. So I guess I'm, publicly putting stock in the Bulls for next year if they bring the squad back, but only under the condition that they indeed bring the squad back. Yeah, and they ended up getting knocked out with five. So, well, I mean, we'll see for them. Like I said, I think we're both on the same accord that they just need to add 
another off season, maybe try to get healthy throughout the off season, add a couple of few pieces in that mesh with the system and see where they go from there. Then you have Milwaukee moving into the second round and they had it in the, they need to face the opponent. And here we go with our two seven matchup, the Brooklyn Nets winning their playing game versus the Cleveland Cavaliers to make it two seven to officially lock into the playoffs with Kyrie Irving. And at this point of the season, the New York mayor had kind of had just had lifted the mandate. So now Kyrie Irving was now available in home games and it looked up for the Brooklyn Nets going in, but they had to go against the team to beat since January 1st, the Boston Celtics, uh, the two seed who did not duck that chance to become the two seed and got swept. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets got swept. And in my honest opinion, it was the right thing to happen, and it was the most nece- necessary thing to happen. And this is why I say this. The Brooklyn, the Boston Celtics had been the best defensive team in the in this in the entire most of the throughout the most of the, of the season, excuse me, throughout most of the season, but especially since January 1st. So at the end of the day, when you're looking at the whole aspect of it, you have KD and Kyrie, who they have players that can match up against them defending them. Mm-hmm. And if they and if Nobody else is going to help KD and Kyrie. We missed, we watched Nick Claxton shoot like 25% from the free throw line. Mm-hmm. We saw nobody except for maybe Seth Curry or Patty Mills in a couple of games mm-hmm. hit outside perimeter threes. Mm-hmm. It was a struggle to score if it wasn't Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And mm-hmm. Boston simply stayed down and stayed tight. The first game was the closest game, and they still pulled it out because of the heroics of Jason Tatum. <clears throat> At the end of the day, that's heroic plays. Heroic plays win you games. At the end of the day, nothing about percentages matter or how close the games are in the playoffs as long as they happen and they matter. And ever since game one, it wasn't close throughout the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. It was They were tight games, of course, because you have two superstars on the other side. But it wasn't close throughout the rest of the series. So for me, the Brooklyn Nets, you need a lot to do in this offseason. There's a lot of questions going around this offseason on, one, if you can trust Kyrie Irving to be on your team that long. And I know you're a Kyrie fan, but these are real questions that you have to ask about this player. Like, mm-hmm. you have to trust where his mental state will be at throughout the season. Mm-hmm. You have to trust too much things that aren't involved with basketball with Kyrie Irving that makes it seem like you almost don't even really want Kyrie Irving on the team. So I ask you this. My decision would be to trade Kyrie Irving because it just makes no sense to have him around Kevin Durant. Let Kevin Durant work himself around a team full of other guys if you have a bunch of if you let Ke- my, in my opinion, if you let Kevin Durant work as though as though he's like not on the ball player like Luka Doncic, but having guys around Luka Doncic and just say, mm-hmm. Kevin Durant, you are our leader. You go work. Everybody else works for you. Mm-hmm. Make it that easy instead of having Kevin Durant want to defer to other guys and make other guys happy and just do your thing because you are an unstoppable scorer. But you didn't see that in the. Uh, in that series versus Boston, you saw him struggle a lot from the field, which is something that you can't really expect from Kevin Durant. So at the end of the day, my opinion would be to trade Kyrie Irving. What do you think for the Nets? I just think that that's just not a good matchup because of the off-the-court things, too much things that that involve himself, and he's at home. So there's so many other factors that are involved in his game that aren't on the court. So what do you think for them going on to this offseason and after getting swept to the Boston Celtics? Well, I think it's clear that the Nets uh, general management agree with you because our reports are uh, telling us that they're kind of reluctant to give him a new max deal. 
a new long-term extension. So they agree with your sentiments that this guy is can't trust him. He's unreliable. It's always something with him. One day he's sitting out for personal reasons. The next day it's illegal for him to play in our gym. So I don't know, man, but I just know one thing. <laughs> there are not a lot of guys that can impact the game like Kyrie Irving. And I know I may be in love with the aesthetic of him playing his incredible handles and his incredible shot making ability, but and I sound like a broken record when him and Kevin Durant are healthy on the court as scarce as it may be. They are two of the most electric players in the entire world and them getting swept. I had no, I had no, I, I didn't call it. I don't think anyone called Boston in four. I had Boston winning the series in six games, but I definitely did not predict a sweep, but do you trade Kyrie Irving? I think this year is the last chance to – I think this is the last year you have to give him a chance to prove that he can be the reliable guy that you need him to be. And then if he can't show you that – if he hasn't played at least 80% of the games by next trade deadline, you have to at least consider it. You have to put it on the table and just just throw the idea out there, bounce it around the heads of whoever else is in that meeting room, I guess Steve Nash and that's ownership because it's it's – it's been like this since he's gotten to Brooklyn, which is crazy because every year it's something else. The first year was his most was his most healthiest, and that was the year Katie had to sit out the entire year with the Achilles. So I'm not quite sure if you're the Nets management what you do with Kyrie Irving. Like, but it'll be so hard to get equal compensation for a guy of his talent level. I mean, because other teams probably feel the same way the Nets feel. I don't want to trade for unreliable asset, so I'm not going to give you my best assets. So it's like his trade value, despite him being healthy and extremely talented, his trade value may not be where Brooklyn's management may need it to be in order to pull the trigger and get a guy that can at least be equal to or more value to Kyrie that Kyrie was. So I'm just not I wouldn't trade him. I wouldn't trade him just because he's so damn good. And there's only a few guys, probably two handfuls of guys that can produce the way he he can, especially next to Katie and him and Katie have such a great rapport from the outside looking in. It seems like that. So I don't know what you do. It's so tough. But the bigger question, I think, along with Kyrie Irving, is I think they traded for another unreliable asset in Ben Simmons. I know there was a lot of talk about, was Ben Simmons ever going to suit up? There was a rumor that he was going to suit up for game four. That ended up not happening. He ended up getting surgery a few weeks after their season ended. So, and I am a Laker fan. So I guess it's not in my best interest to root for Brooklyn. But I think if you bring that squad back fully healthy, they can be a player in the East. They can be a title contender with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, and the crew. Nick Claxton has to work on his free throws, but that's probably the case with all rim runners in the league. They probably got to, they probably need some wing defenders. Bruce Brown was out there fighting for his life <laughs> against the Celtics. Seth Curry showed up when he had to, but he's still Seth at the end of the day. He's never going to be that 25 point per game scorer that they were relying on him to be once they realized Kyrie and Katie weren't producing the way that they were supposed to. So I think you bring the squad back. Um, my biggest concern with Brooklyn is Steve Nash. He just is not ready to be a head coach of a team with this high of expectations just yet. 
Um, they had Ime Udoka on the staff. He went to Boston, of course. He's leading them. So I think you have to make a coaching change before you make a personnel change with the Brooklyn Nets. And if everyone's healthy next year, I'm sure the odds makers would agree with me when I say they are a player to win the championship next season. You had the Boston Celtics ended up defeating, like you said, or like we said, the Brooklyn Nets in four, sweeping them, and they moved on to place the Milwaukee Bucks in the semifinals. And Boston ends up pulling that out in seven games. Giannis came to play. Giannis came to play, came to fight. We have, of course, no Chris Middleton to help out Giannis in the second round, but Drew Holiday was still there. Uh, For the Bucks, yeah, for the Bucks, I mean, Giannis, he was great. He did something that no player had ever done in a series before. It's not much more you can ask. You can only just ask that sometimes health wins out at the end of the day. And Boston was the more healthier team. They had the more impressed. They, they, you, the Bucks had multiple times chances to win games, and they failed multiple times. I want to say it was game four. Was it game? Which there was a game. Was it? I don't know if it's game three or game four with the uh, with the tip in that. No, not the tip. Oh yeah, no. yeah, that was uh, game that was four, game. right? Yeah, that was game four. Was game, four. Was game four. Game four and game six were Milwaukee's to win. Those games were Milwaukee's to win, and they failed both of those games. So at the end of the day, you have to look at the series and say, if we would have came, if we wouldn't allow Jason Tatum to go crazy in game six. And even though he went crazy, we still had a chance to win. We just failed, faltered at the end. And in game four, same thing, just faltered at the end. You have to look at it as and say, we just have to run it back. I mean, at the end of the day, there's nothing, there's not much more that we can yeah, even say. Yeah, of course. Like, there's not much more that we can even say for this team that you just have to add pieces around Giannis and let Giannis be great. I thought he played, like I said, I thought he played a great series, great playoffs in general. Still proven to me. I mean, I think that he's the best player in the world. Um, if the jumper is falling now, there's something that's such something that you have to consider now. So he can only get better. I mean, he's still 26, 27 years old. He's getting into his prime. So he's only going to get better. The Bucks are only going to be there for a continuous time. Um, just hoping that and health at the end of the day wins out for them. What do you think about their series with the Celtics? I thought they fought hard, but at the end of the day, I thought the better team and deeper team won that series. So what do you think for the Bucks going into the offseason and uh, about Giannis' play in this postseason, how great he was? Yeah, like you just said, the Bucks are great going into this offseason. They really don't need to change much. Um, like you said, they just got to get their second star and Chris Middleton back. Um, but real quick, if you think if you think if Chris Middleton plays, you think they win that series against Boston? I mean, I, I you would have to maybe say yes. You would <laughs> maybe have to say yes just because – and then he could have shot them out of games. Like somebody else could have been getting shots that he would have made. But mm-hmm. uh, with the inconsistency of Drew Holiday, if another guy would have just maybe been there sometimes, like maybe even game four and game six, you right. know, maybe we're talking about uh, the Bucks moving on instead of the Celtics. So possibly. If Boston would have ended up losing that series, it would have been because of how they lost game five against the Bucks. That, man, <laughs> that as a guy who – who roots for the, even though I am a Lakers fan for the 10th time this episode, I root for the Celtics when my team is at home because Jason Tatum is my favorite player. So, and he's been my favorite player for a few years now. So I kind of, when I watch the Celtics, I know the dynamic of their team. I know what their pecking order should be. And for Marcus Smart to close game five the way he did, I felt as though if they were to go on and lose that series to the Bucks, And I think I texted you. That you got to move on from Marcus Smart after game five. I was so upset. 
with his inability to close the game and Drew Holiday just picking his pocket like that, blocking the shot on one end, stealing the ball from him on the other. Like, that was just a terrible way to close the game. And I felt as though if they lost that series, it would have been because of that game. But, yeah, as far as the Bucks, they're they're great. They're great. Still got Giannis, still got Chris, still got Drew, still got Lopez, still got Bobby Portis. That's shown that that can be the nucleus. Still got Grayson Allen, of course. Can't forget about my dookie. It's shown that 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 can be the nucleus to a championship team. And they proved that against Boston. They just didn't have their, I guess you can say their closer late in games when it's time to hit a jump shot. So Mm -hmm. they're good. They're fine. So that'll be fine. So you got Boston moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals to match up against Miami, who made it to the top side of the bracket on the bracket. And it was a good, I don't know. It's hard for me to say it was a good series. I think both, I think until game. And when I say that, I'm I'm meaning to say, I don't think the games really met were like, in sway until about five mm-hmm. because it was like blowout, blowout, oh, blowout, right, blowout. Right, right. Totally. Then five, six, seven was really right. the games that came alive. So I think it was a it was a good series, but not like in terms of the first four games. I'd probably say five through seven were the best games. And game six, um, I think I, I think I had a good grasp on the series the entire time. Just especially from game five, I, or I basically had money on Boston. Well, I've had I had money on Boston this entire playoff run going on to win the Eastern Conference that I took at them and appreciate that. (laughs) And then so we had the biggest test for them, I thought, was Brooklyn. Then you had the Bucks, who is a big test, but without Middleton, you you should be able to get past that. But then Miami, they came out and it was the game. It was I think it was game three when Bam Adebayo had his game. And I said to myself, I said, I I don't know if Boston can win this series. I I don't think because like – they just played so poorly in that game. It shifted mm-hmm. me so much to think like mm-hmm. that it was done for them. But then, of course, you had the guys refocusing in and locking in, and you actually ended up having a good three, a good uh, five games, five, six, and seven, that led to a sway back and forth. You had Boston winning five. You had Miami coming in on their life on their deathbed almost the first time in the playoffs coming in game six and handling business. Jimmy Butler going off for. I think he had, he had 40 plus that game. He had 47, yeah, 47, 47. Yeah, he had 47. And then you come to game seven, where a massive, massive, massive ebbs and flows game. You had teams taking a lead, Miami coming back. Boston taking a lead, Miami coming back. Boston taking a lead again, Miami coming back. Boston taking a lead, what I thought was for good at 13, <laughs> uh, with about three minutes left. And you had Miami coming back again. And then you had the shot. I guess we could talk about the shot. I thought when your season's on the line, You've already played all the minutes in the game. Your teammates know you're going to take the shot. The opponent knows you're going to take the shot. Well, I won't take, say take the shot, but the opponent knows you have the ball in your hand. Your teammates will know that you will have the ball in your hand. I see nothing wrong with Jimmy Butler's shot attempt to win the game, to not play any more game, to not play any more minutes because his legs are already burnt to toast. A lot of people are saying, why don't you just go for the lane? Why don't you go for the lane? Well, if a lot of people don't notice, or at least a lot of people weren't uh, – necessarily saying that when he scored bucket 33 and bucket 35 those are both at, in my opinion and one layups that weren't called mm-hmm. so i was so mm-hmm. in, in his head i'm thinking he's thinking they're not going to call a foul we're down two i don't feel like playing overtime let me go for the win and it was long, it was online just dead because he had <clears throat> just short because he had dead legs <clears throat> so at the end of the day i don't see a problem with the shot Big players go for big shots and big games. That's what he is. He's He's been that for his entire career. He was that in this series. 
I see no problem with the shot. What, what do you think about the shot? And overall, Boston taking the series in Game 7 with the great performance from both uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in Game 7. And Marcus Smart, too, except yeah, he missed Marcus a lot of shots at the end to almost make the game close. But uh, <laughs> Jason, Jason Brown, I mean, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum at uh, Game 7. Um, Yeah, like you said, I love that Jimmy Butler shot. That's my type of shot, shot by my type of players. Um, the only thing that I think, only thing that I could say is that sometimes in late game situations, your brain and your body aren't on the same page. Your brain may want to take the, your brain may be telling your body just to take the easy way out, settle for the three. And that's when you have to put mind over matter and say, no, I know I'm dead, but I'm going to attack the basket and at the very worst get a foul. So I see both sides of that. And for the season, and I was talking to some Heat fans since game seven, and their stance, which I guess I can't disagree with, is that we all know Jimmy Butler is not the greatest shooter. So even though he was wide open, even though he hit a shot in the third quarter that was identical to the shot that he took at the end of the game, at the end of the game, for Jimmy, that still may not be a good shot. So I guess I give credence to that claim that that's not a good shot because it's not a good shooter shooting it. But I love the shot. The guy had 50 for you the game before, had 40 for you that game. Wasn't for him. You guys probably would have got bounced probably in six. You guys probably would have lost that. Of course, you guys probably would have lost that game in game six. It wasn't for him having one of the greatest playoff games we've ever seen. So I like that shot. It just didn't go in. So then I thought, as I was watching the game live, as the game was waning down, I thought to myself, well, who can make that shot? Coming down, down to you just played 48 minutes the night before. You're already at 47 minutes and counting this game. Who can hit that shot? And then when you think about the short list of players that can hit it, KD, Stephs, I guess you could throw Tatum in there now. LeBron. LeBron. I mean, that's, I mean, that, there's a, there's a, I, I wouldn't say Tatum can make, like, that, that's like, you talking about 48 minutes and the game on the line at that point. That's like, a huge I'm, shot. That's I'm only, I'm only putting like Pantheon type guys up there. Of course, right. like the clutch players, but like Pantheon type guys, because that's like a historic feat to be running out like that. So Kawhi Leonard, like goat yeah. guys of that caliber. So when I thought about the short list of guys that can make that shot, I said, right, okay, maybe Jimmy probably should have went for the two, maybe should have tried to get a layup, get a better shot. But then you see the play. Al Horford has been playing out of his mind this entire playoff. This entire playoffs, you gotta. We could probably dedicate an entire episode to how Al has decided to turn back the clock seven years and play this great so far for the Celtics. So it's not a guarantee, and this is the pushback I was giving Heat fans. It's not a guarantee that he just lays Al Horford up that easy and ties the game. That shot in that moment was what you like to was what you like. If you're a Heat fan, you like to see that shot go up because it's wide open. It's a it's a broken it's not a broken play, but he's coming down. He has numbers. You don't want to stop his momentum and call a timeout because you call timeouts and draw plays to get shots that are wide open like that. So like like Rachel Nichols used to always say on the jump, it's a make or miss league. And he missed the shot, but I still love the shot. And I think that's a shot for him that goes in wide open like that. Coming down, you get a chance to walk into it. I think that's a shot that goes in at least five and a half to six times out of 10 for Jimmy Butler just didn't go in. And sometimes that's the name of the game. I think that he have a lot of questions because coming into the off season, just to figure out what type of team they like, I don't know. I just felt as though that they were 
somewhat of an overachieving one seed through, through the season. I felt like they are they are a seed high that and and maybe another team that we'll talk about is, is in the same same type of uh, pathway. But they are a team that is gets into that high contention because they just have players that go out there and play pretty hard every night. Yeah, and it's gonna it's gonna result in wins because you you got undrafted players, back end drafted players. Like, I don't know how sustainable that will be in, in long term success. I think Jimmy Butler is a prime time player. You get him for you have him for the playoff runs, uh, but you need guys that can settle settle you in for the eighty two. And maybe that's just heat culture that they'll just be sustainable uh, mm-hmm. for the eighty two. But <clears throat> you're gonna need players that can come in through the, for the sixteen. And you kind of saw Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo. Bam kind of get there, kind of show that he's he he can matter in games. I mean, game seven he played well. He kind of he he mattered enough. But you got players like Tyler Hero who's saying that he wants to be a starter next year, and um, your coach doesn't trust you to do that. I that your co- if your coach doesn't trust you to start, I feel as though that's that's a there's something with that. Like there's something with that along the lines of that. So he was hurt. Real quick, you think it's trust, or do you think it's just like his quote? His quote saying, "I think I should start next year. I think I've earned that." That -hmm. sounds something like Spolster doesn't think that he's earned that. So that's to me how I don't know that how how doesn't that equalize trust? Like how doesn't that equalize somebody saying, "You've earned that spot. I've seen enough. You've earned it. There you go." Like the kid was already in his third year. Mm -hmm. His first year, he played excellent. His first mm-hmm. his bubble run, he played excellent. So right. I don't know. I, I just think I, I just think that that's a player that you got to figure out if you're going to keep him or you're going to move him because he's a talent, but maybe he needs to be a talent on a team where he can be his own talent. Like he'll never be above Jimmy Butler. He'll never be likely above Bam Adebayo at that point either. And you could kind of see in the playoff runs, he wouldn't be over a guy like Kyle Lowry just because Kyle Lowry can go out there and hold his own, at least on the defensive end. And you saw players on both, even in Miami, even in the Philly series, he was attacked in the Philly series. Mm-hmm. He was almost, he was tried to be attacked in the Atlanta series, but it didn't matter at that point. Yeah, it didn't matter. And he was in, even though he didn't get it, I don't think think he got a chance to play in the, in the uh, Celtics series except for Game Seven. Yeah, he would have he, he would have been attacked in that series as well. Yeah, of course, of course. So at the end of the day, he gives you good offensive production. He's a good player. I just think you have to figure what out. Uh, you're going to figure out what you're going to do with him because. If he's not going to be a starter, if he's just going to be a bench player, you can't pay him that money, which is which is what he's going to want. He's going to want big time money, and if he's just going to be a bench player, you can't do that. So, I think for him, there's a lot of questions you got to ask, and for Miami in general, like what are they going to do with Oladipo? Are they going to keep them? Just a lot of things that they had to figure out throughout the offseason. So, it all comes down to tonight. Actually, the day that we're recording this will be Game One of the 2022 NBA Finals. Long NBA season back to the regular NBA season of getting two games. It all comes down to down this one. You have Boston Celtics who um, threw a tight knit run since January first have now made it to the to the NBA Finals, going up against the classic, the old guy, quote old guys, still getting it done in the in the Golden State Warriors, um, making their now six seven final. Yeah, six six finals, six, six finals in eight years or nine years, yeah. something like that. What do you think will happen in this series? How can you see the who do you see will be a winner? I think for me, before we get to you real quick, I think for me, Boston, they will be in a lot of the games, but sometimes just that that slight lack of focus or that slight inexperience gap 
will cost them a game or two, and you'll find themselves in another situation kind of like ours with the Memphis Grizzlies, I should say, down 4-2 in a series, but that you feel like you should have won maybe in five or six. So for me, I had the Warriors 4-2 winning the series in six games versus pulling out games one, four, five, and six. Um, I want Boston to win very badly. I think let's just put that precipice out there now. I, I actually have money on Boston, 4-3, winning in seven, but I have more money on the Warriors winning in six, 4-2. So what do you think for this series coming along, and who do you actually have winning this series, pulling it out in the end? I'm not going to lie. Um, my brother, Corey, I do not have a pick yet. I've spent every moment that I've been awake since the Celtics knocked off the heat and we knew what the matchup was going to be, debating internally on who I have winning. And as we're getting closer and closer to tip off to game one, I got the Boston Celtics in seven games, and here's why. I just I'm just going with what I trust more and what I trust more in a team in that size. And that's being able to play defense around all five players on the court. The Boston Celtics, you just you hit it right on the nose. Last five minutes of every game, when it's when when the score is within five points or less, they kill me. They they make me they make they make me upset that I picked them going into the game with how they play to close games. But I just think that defensively, they are going to give the Warriors everything they can handle, especially if one out of Steph, Clay, or Poole aren't playing the way Steph, Clay, and Poole are accustomed to playing. And I don't think they're going to play that well because of the perimeter defenders Boston has. I think Steph Curry will show up to play, but I think the most important matchup of this entire series will be Jalen Brown versus Klay Thompson, the second best players for each squad, respectively. Because it's safe to say that I think I think Steve Kerr is going to assign Wiggins to Jason for the entire series, same way he assigned Wiggins to Luka last series. And I think Jason is going to – and I think they're going to battle, but I think Jason will eventually – you know, rise to that matchup and outplay Wiggins. But if Jalen Brown can outplay Klay Thompson, then it just puts the Warriors in suffer in such a tough spot because if he's making him work offensively and then giving it to him defensively, then you're just depending way too much on Steph Curry to pull the rabbit out of his hat way too many times in this series that I think I think Steph Curry will answer the call and I think he'll be an amazing player this series but I just don't think his help will be where it needs to be once the series goes back to Boston. And once we start getting to the second half of the games, this series, I just think defense and size will prevail. And I think, and I think one of the most important keys for the Warriors are outside of the clay and Jalen matchup. Draymond green has to be a scorer. He has to score the ball. He can't, he can't, <laughs> he can't be the dream on that we saw in the Nuggets series or in the Memphis or in the series against y'all or in the Dallas series where he's okay with playing 38 minutes and leaving with seven points. 
You can't do that against Boston. These guys have players that will can give you 12 to 18 points, maybe 20 points in Al Horford and Grant Williams' case every night. So you have to offensively, you have to be a threat to score the ball, Draymond. And I think the third most important player for the Golden State Warriors is Kavon Looney because he played great against Dallas. What he had, I think he had an 18.22 rebound game in their closeout game five victory. He had another crazy double double in the game four. He has to be, he has to be ready to bang with both Robert and Al is if assuming Robert Williams is going to continue to play through pain, which he's been doing since he came back during the Milwaukee series. I just, Kevon Looney and Draymond Green have to do things that I'm not accustomed to seeing them do, which is score the ball in Draymond's case, and in Kevon's case, keep up what he did last series, which most would call an anomaly. So, I don't know. I love Steph Curry. As you know, he's my second favorite player in the league, but Jason Tatum is my favorite player in the NBA, and I think with the with the defenders that they have, the way Marcus Smart is just going to be so annoying to Steph Curry for probably seven games. The way Jalen is just going to be, the way Jalen is just going to just go at Clay and then try his best to defend him. And then the way Jason in big moments are just going to be able to be that off the dribble shot maker, along with Al Horford pouring it in, Grant Williams pouring it in, Robert Williams, Peyton Pritchard. I think they got it. I think, I think this will be. And I'm still like, and I'm still like, as I'm saying this out loud, I'm still questioning my pick because it's like these are two even super evenly matched teams. But I just think defense and size prevails. And I think coaching may prevail. I think Ime Udoka has the guys so focused, especially defensively. I just think that I think that game seven in Golden State will be. That would be the second time they lose a game seven in their own crib. I don't in the, in the finals. It, it would be. I think the Celtics will win game seven in the Chase Center to win the NBA finals because I just don't see how the Warriors are going to consistently get baskets on the Celtics defense, especially if Draymond is reluctant and refuses to score the ball. I just don't see how they're going to be able to score with Jason and Jalen and Marcus and Al and Rob and Grant and Peyton giving you his few 11 to 12 points off the bench. Derek White coming in and giving you what he can give you. I just, it'll be tough. It'll be tough. I know the talk on, a lot of sports shows today was or uh, was is, is this the Warriors biggest test they've seen in the finals? And it's by far the biggest test they're going to see this season in the playoffs outside of y'all. I thought y'all were going to give them the best bump that they got. I had Phoenix playing them, but I think I had y'all giving them a little a, a better run for their money than Phoenix would have if they would have beat Dallas. So I don't know, man. I Like I said, I think defense and size prevails. And unless Kevon Looney can be a defensive anchor in the paint, I don't see how the paint is not wide open for the Boston Celtics. I just don't see how I just don't see any resistance that they have getting to the basket. So going with the Celtics in seven games, I think Steph Curry plays like a Hall of Famer. But I think the inability of his teammates to score in high leverage moments will be their demise. And I think the Celtics just play team ball for seven games, and I think they get a dub. I think the home team wins every game until game seven. 
Well, if you were to put your money where your mouth is, I mean, that'll be plus 130 odds for the Celtics to win the championship. So, I mean, you definitely be coming up a nice little, nice little, nice little amount if you bet on them. Um, I just think I agree with all the points that you're saying. It just feels as though some some magical voodoo will come down on upon the Warriors and this series will just make it seem like they defend some of the guys on the, on the Celtics. Um, Draymond Green's inability of scoring won't hurt them ever. It seems to really ever get to them. So I just think the, the greatness of players like Steph Curry and Klay Thompson in this moment, I feel as though the Celtics got, they, they got over the hump. They got over the mm-hmm. net, the hump that they needed to go over the three times of going to the ECF and losing. I think they finally got over what they needed to get over. Now this is just a different, a, and if they don't make, the, if they don't make this moment bigger than what it actually is, you'll mm-hmm. see good, you'll see good playoff games for sure. But I just think that experience, We'll just chop it down for him, and and at the end of the day, I do believe that this is the th- the best test in the playoffs. Like I, like you said, I, so I'm interested to see, but I I think for my own sake, Warriors in six is the safest and smartest. Just two games, at least one at home, maybe one on the road if they fight hard enough. But then just the Warriors just now. The one thing that actually is is something that actually has to be considered about this series is. The travel is actually a, a, probably one of the biggest travel discrepancies in, in in playoff games since probably Lakers versus Boston. I would yeah, think. I was about to say yeah, I maybe, think, I think since, since that twenty ten series, this travel is actually quite literally like peak to peak of the USA, like <laughs> USA to the other peak of the USA. So that's going to be a thing. I mean, it doesn't really seem it seems to work. That seems to affect more and. NFL games and NBA games, but mm-hmm. still, that's something that you're, we're going to have to notice. So, this NBA Finals, we have our predictions set. Corey has Warriors in six. Lil has undecided slash Celtics in seven. I'll give him that. I'll give him his season his seven. We, we, we can lock it in. Season seven. Season seven. Jason Tatum, Finals MVP. Um, But it won't be because of Steph Curry. It will not be because of Steph Curry. It, it will be because Jalen Brown outplayed Klay Thompson, and they're, they're just going to continue to hunt Jordan Poole. Like, Jordan Poole, I was reading this article today. When the Celtics play their defensive lineup, is he going to be unplayable? Like, is he going to be unplayable in high-leverage moments in games this series? I thought he was going to be unplayable versus us. I didn't think that they would be able to put out – Steph, Clay, and and Jordan Poole against us because we would be able to match up to them with one size but ability to match up. But when it comes to the Celtics, I see it going. It's probably Jason on, Jason on Wiggins, Smart mm-hmm. Curry, uh, Jalen on Thompson. And uh, you're the Celtics. You love that. Yeah, Grant. Depending on that, just that Grant Williams, Al Horford, Daniel Tice, Rob Williams. Four man rotation in the, in the big in the front court. We'll see how it works out for him. Um, I I don't mind a pick of Celtics. I'm seeing Boston in six trending. Doesn't usually work out good for anybody ever, but um, I mean I'm excited. So I have stuff like I have Warriors in six. You have Celtics in seven. And um, real quick, let's talk about your Lakers before we head up out of here. Darvin, as you see, thought we could avoid my guys, but fuck it, we're here. <laughs> Darvin Ham, new coach, 
what do you think this leads to? Um, you have still questions on the offseason, of course, but Darvin Ham is now a new coach. You have now shipped off Vogel. So what do you think this could lead to for the Lakers and uh, going forward into next season, which is, in my opinion, a make-or-break season for a lot of players on the team, including Anthony Davis of oh, that nature. Especially, especially Anthony Davis. If he doesn't – if he can't play – if he can't play at least – What's 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 his number of games that he has to play this year in order to come back in 2023? In my opinion, it's 60. But 60, my friends, I was going to say, was, was gonna say 60 to 63. But in my, but my but people in my circle have been telling me that that's too high of a number. Perennially, he'll he'll never be able to play 60. Um, that's a that's a too high of an expectation to expect him to play 60 to 65 games. But with his injury history, especially these last two years. If he misses majority of the season for a third straight year, you have to consider moving him. But back to the original topic, I think us hiring Darvin Ham was a rare W from our front office. Rob Palenka, Jeannie Buss, thank you. I want to give you a round of applause live on my podcast for hiring Darvin Ham, who I think will be great as far as being able to relate to the guys in the locker room. People were saying Fogel couldn't really reach the team as much as he would like. I think he'll be able to hold the guys accountable, specifically Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis. When Westbrook is playing like Westbrook, like Westbrook, I mistakenly say Westbrook, he'll bring him in and tell him, hold him accountable and say, bro, you're losing us the game. AD's reluctancy to play the five, I think that's out of the window now. I think if Darvin Ham wants you to play the five, He's going to make Andy Davis play the five. LeBron James, a guy who you have to have your reservations as far as holding accountable because he is indeed so great, has such a high basketball IQ. But there are some times that I felt as though this season, his shot selection, along with his effort off the ball and defensively, were just showing that he knew that this team wasn't going to go anywhere. So I think once he's more locked in for next season, his effort will show. But when it's not, and when he's playing with low effort, I need Darvin Ham to hold LeBron James accountable because that will show the rest of the roster that if this guy can be held accountable, then you other guys, we know for a fact you can be held accountable. So I think that's Darvin Ham. I think that's number one. I think that's the number one point of emphasis on Darvin Ham's job description is to hold the guys accountable, make AD um, accepting for playing the five, Make Westbrook less turnover prone. If that means put him on a bench to just shorten his sample size of time in the game, then so be it. I was one of the first people last year I know that wanted Westbrook to go to the bench. I think it was after our very first game against Golden State. I knew this shit was not going to work. I'm going off on a tangent, but um, I like Darvin Ham. According to our reports, we're letting him pick his own staff, which is something that we didn't allow Frank Vogel to do. Also, according to reports, uh, Kurt Rambis will not be in the meeting room when um, when we have our weekly meeting with our coaches.